Well, good morning to all of you. It's good to have you here. You may have picked up something we mentioned. We are now live streaming this service. We were looking at the possibilities of having a live stream that people could pick up from different directions, not even knowing what would take place here. And so for those of you looking on, welcome. We're glad to have you. We're beginning a study in the book of Revelation this morning. It will be a, a brief introduction and overview of the book of Revelation. It teaches us many amazing truths. Maybe I'll, I'll liken it to something that happened a couple of days ago. I stopped by the grocery store just doing a real quick errand for Debbie. And when I got to the grocery store, I only had three things to get. Two Bob Evans mashed potatoes and one gallon of milk. And I, when I got to the line, I realized that it was way different than I thought. And it was interesting because you know how God puts you between, with people to connect you in ways you never thought he's going to connect you. Here is this elderly sister woman there, and she looks into my, my uh, buggy, and she says, is that all you're going to get today? And I said, I'm just picking up some things for my wife, and uh, she's got this order over here at Fry's, and it's going to come in in a couple days, and she says, so that's all you want right now. And I looked down there and I says, well, there will probably be more before long. Now, as we go into the book of Revelation today, that's one thing we're going to see is we're not going to get very far in some ways, but we, I trust we'll get a ways into the book. But this book is so big and it is so all-encompassing that we'll just simply begin to roll out a little of some of the major truths today. We might shoot over the top of a few truths and we'll start realizing, and I kept looking at those, all the rest of the people that are lined up and they had overflowing baskets. They were just over the top. And really that's what the word of God is. The further you go into the Bible, the more you overflow. No matter where it is, when you look at a truth, a principle, a doctrine, a chapter, at first you might see three or four main points. It will just keep growing. And this is how the Christian life is. It, we might say it's this. We were, we've been looking in John, and we see all these different areas, but it just keeps growing, and that's what the Word of God does with us. Now, I've got, a, I've got a verse for you, though, in light of the season we're in, and this was shared by one of our brothers right before, before we came up here to the pulpit, and I just give this to you to bless you as we go into this service. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasseth all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of those great anchor scriptures of the word of God that we can just go to and say, God already has it. We just don't always see it. Now I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation. And here it will be that we want to read beginning the first three verses as the Holy Spirit will speak to all of us as, as he chooses today. 
There, there, is, there is a great theme of the book that I just want to keep coming back to because it is so prolific. It is so powerful in its proclamation throughout the text that John has given us. And, and you're going to see it right here. And it is the two great truths. One is Jesus is alive. And the other one is he's coming very soon. And, and keeping those two, those two at the heartbeat of the Christian's faith, that Jesus is alive. And Jesus is also coming, and he's coming very soon. And I think we'll, we'll look at a little bit of that today as we begin to open up this beautiful book that John wrote from the Isle of Patmos when he was exiled there away from the saints of Ephesus and Miletus and other places. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his, ser- his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. As John begins to enter into this book, I have no idea yet how long the Holy Spirit will have us here. We could spend the rest of the year. A brother last night after service said, you could spend two years. Someone else said, you could spend three years. It's it's all-encompassing. One of the things to understand about this book, a lot of times people say, no, maybe it will prove this certain thing I believe. Maybe exactly when Jesus is going to come. Or maybe uh, this particular group is right and this one is wrong. That isn't the main theme of the book of Revelation. The main theme of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ is alive and he's Lord and he's coming again. And he'll say this, John will write this many times, that he is king of kings, he's Lord of lords, he's over everything, he's coming again. And I guess uh, maybe I'll share this with you because for several weeks I was just jiggling to two parts of the word of God as we were leaving 1 John and Jude. And I kept thinking, Lord, do you want us to go into Ephesus and just talk about the walk of the believer or do you want us to continue through Revelation? And it seemed like there was just several things that just kept coming that says, just keep going to Revelation. Just get a view of Jesus and him is the living Lord and how real his coming is. I believe it's important to recognize as we enter this book that it is so easy today that we put the the coming of Jesus off in some secondary shelf. We put it over here in the corner. We forget that, yes, I understand that, but I've got a big business meeting this week. And when we look at the word of God, though, we will see as John himself writes it, but not just here, Paul wrote like this, Peter wrote like this, Jesus spoke like this, that The return of Jesus is so important to the Christian faith, and it's also the uplook of our life. The return of Jesus gets our eyes looking up, looking beyond that latest conflict or the tough meeting next week or whatever it may be. And as John enters this, he says in that very first line, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Immediately, 
the very the theme of this book is Jesus Christ, the great theme. But he's saying, I want to show you the origin of this writing. It's from Jesus. It's not my writing. Now, maybe we should just put this in perspective here that John at this time had been shipped off to an isle called Patmos. 37 miles away from the church. There was a gap of 37 miles from the, the, the area of Miletus to Patmos. And there he was going to spend a year and a half in a desolate wind-blowing island in which it was known for copper mines. And in that period of time, it's, it's inferred that John would have even worked in the copper mines throughout the day, almost like a slave in his imprisonment. I used to think before I began to study this again that John kind of just sat there and just had, and just had this great uh, relaxing year and a half, but I don't think so. John was in prison for his faith. But God was, but notice what John, what's happened here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. John says, what I'm writing came from Jesus, which God gave to him. It came from God to Jesus, which God gave to him to show his bond servants. That's us. We saw that reference in Jude. We saw it in other books. To show his bond servants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Now let's look at that for just a moment because it, it gives us a beautiful flow of how the word comes out and comes to us. First, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see this. God gave it to Jesus. God is the origin of all truth. Even Jesus himself said, there's a lot I cannot do. Only the Father can give me that power. And John himself says, which God gave to him to show his bondservants. The things which must soon take place. I want us to get that, that soon. Because you're going to see this often in Revelation. The time is at hand. The time is near. Jesus is coming. It's real close. And when we look at it in light of this, this that soon take place, it's like you could put several different dimensions of interpretation to this. One would be it will suddenly happen. It will just, it will happen just like that. As smooth as the world looks, one little thing shakes up everything. You know, it's interesting, we're entering this book just right now, and you think about how one little thing shakes up everything. It just changes our lives. And what John is driving at, I believe, is this, this, this desire that we would recognize how short time is and how, how, much, how little we have of guarantee, and he's saying he must soon come. It can happen very, very quickly. But remember this, this was written about 2,000 years ago through the Holy Spirit. We are in the last of the last days. And it's really important the church know that and we're woke up to that. We're not anywhere with some big cushion. I believe, I've had people even today say, uh, Pastor, what do you think really the Lord is saying through this? And I I don't know exactly. I've read from different ones too. I've sought God. But one thing I know for sure that God is speaking through this and it may be a pure wake-up call to the entire world that he really wants to get our attention to show us that he's in control. It may be a call back to the church. And what he's saying to the church that's become lazy 
and apathetical and comfortable. And we're going to see this later as we go in the book. There may be a call back. I want you back with me. I want you on my side during this time. But John, as he writes this, he says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. God gave it to him. He's, he gave it for the purpose to show his bondservants the things much, which must soon take place. And what he's saying is what you're going to read about, what we're going to study together and I love this because I love to be right with you in the study. God's going to be speaking to me through this study just like he'll be speaking to you. But he's saying it's going to happen. He's going to show us what's going to happen. And I think there's a place as God's children that if we keep our eyes open and we keep our ears open and we keep our heart open to the word of God, we're going to see things in these last days that are just going to open up and we're going to see the Lord in an amazing way. But the Lord wants us to be there and to be looking. And he wants us to be in that place that we can, we can see this. And John finally, as he ends this, and it's so characteristics of John's writing, so as he ends that first verse, and he sent and communicated it by his angel. This is Jesus sending an angel to his bondservant, John. Now get that, because sometimes we can jump over angels because they're somewhat mysterious. We don't know exactly what all they mean. But is it possible, as Galatians 6.1 says, don't be forgetful to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. Is it possible that someone just showed up on the island, began to share with John, and he goes, wow, this is an angel from God. Have you ever had that encounter? I think I, I see a sister shaking her hand. Have you ever just had that sense that an angel came to you and spoke to you? I have. There's been a few times. Angels are message barriers. They're encouragers. They're warriors. They'll bring God's truth. And today we have the Holy Spirit within us, and he's communicating truth to us. But there's also another truth here, and that is God, looked, it looks as if God sent an angel to John on the island. And he began to communicate this truth. John, I'm going to tell you things that I want you to write down, things that must shortly come to pass. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Maybe one, some of you saw Jeff outside this morning. I got a picture to put up here. Uh, it's for your own good. You have to stop touching your face. Real life, uh, Debbie never doesn't really nag me. She's a wonderful, wonderful sister, and how she. But one time she says, "You touch your face more than you need to." And look at look at what the deal is. We it's backwards, isn't it? Uh, it should be on the dog. It's on the guy. And there it is. There's a pretty major adjustment. When we look into where we're at today, and maybe even when you think about John's writings, think about it like this that John saw a church that needed adjustment. Priorities get upside down. Things get flip-flopped, and we don't even know it. If someone would come to us at some time and challenge us there, we would not even realize that we, got, we have the wrong thing on. And I think this entire book was written uh, by by John as that little servant vessel, and that's why he has himself at the very end. Here's God, here's Jesus, here is his fellow servant, here's these angels coming. And I think it was all there to say, John, 
Go out there and share, share this with a church that continually needs to be brought back to me. Yes, it, it's, it also reveals a lot about his coming. But often when we see his coming more clearly, we guarantee we come back to Jesus. It's as clear. When we see his coming, we come back. We just can't be the same place. He will draw us back into himself in the most amazing way. And John is passing this on to the church as he begins this writing. In verse 2, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And here John is speaking of the great testimony that was going to come through this great revelation. Now the testimony is gonna speak about the return of Jesus. It's gonna speak about all kinds of conditions that's gonna happen in the world. And what we're seeing today is nothing compared to what the world's gonna see. It isn't even close. The world's gonna shake and rock. It's going to, one, one judgment, one time destroys one third of the earth with one earthquake. This is how, how real this is going to be. We're talking about a few thousand right now that have lost their life. And here it is that John says, his testimony will be to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I love that because even to all that he saw, he said, I will be true to the word of God and true to Jesus as I declare this truth. I'm gonna make sure that you see Jesus and the word of God. Because if we miss Jesus in this message, if we miss Jesus in this book, we've missed everything. I think it's one of the subtle tactics of the enemy is to get people to go into a book like Revelation and I'll get all the facts and the timings and the details, but they've forgotten one thing, Jesus. That Jesus is alive, he is real, he is coming again. And this is this paramount truth that just rings throughout this, this, this teaching here that's before us this morning. Revelation chapter 19.10, just a short little passage at the, at the end of the 10th verse. It says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And John here says, he will testify to the word of God, verse two, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And John was simply saying, I will declare everything. I'll be as transparent as I can be. I'll let the word of God just open as, as fully as I can so that when I declare this, you'll see Jesus as clear as you can. And I think that's one of the great challenges even for a pastor like myself. Oh God, as I'm praying, as I'm studying, as I'm seeking God, as I'm looking at passages, help the people to see Jesus. Because this is what is so important. Because when we see that Jesus is alive in, this, in these passages, and we see that he is coming again, and he's coming soon, our life changes, and we will see this later also. We'll recognize this great work that happens in God's children's heart as we begin to witness and behold the Lord Jesus. The last area we're going to see in verse three is, is the great blessing that John says that can come from this book. And I want us to notice the sequential way through which the blessing comes to the children of God. Blessed is he who reads and those that hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. And then he says it again, the time is near. 
Look at this with me for just a moment. Blessed is he who reads. First we read. He's saying, I think a couple weeks ago we were talking about those that could not read. Maybe 80 some percent of the world at the time of the, uh, back 150 years ago that couldn't even read. But John is saying, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And this is so important to get truth. If we've got, to, we've got to glean truth through these several things that we find almost hidden for a minute within this one verse. We read, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, the next one is this, heed the things that are written. James writes about this, it's common. We will read, we will hear, and we won't heed. All of a sudden, we'll get convicted. The Holy Spirit will come upon us, and we'll go, yeah, I got it, Lord. And we walk out the door, and we say, but wow, what's gonna happen to that relationship? But the word of God here just says, blessed is he who reads, number one, who hear, number two, and heed the things which are written in it. And then he says, it's because the time is near. And John, once again, let's go with this great truth that he's saying, we are in the last of the last days. We're in the very threshold of the end of time. You know, I'm indebted to men and women who went before me who lived with such expectation of the Lord's return that they themselves just could not go a day without mentioning it. It was so real. I have read in the Christian church even the way that God's children would encourage each other as they were going through suffering is often it would be with that one great truth, the Lord is coming again. You know, brother, sister, look up. Jesus is coming. And here it is. Here's this great truth we're looking at that you'll see all through this book. And one is Jesus is alive and Jesus is coming again. But John looks at the way through which the word comes in to the human heart. First we read it. We hear it. Read it. We heed it. And then he says the things which are written in it for the time is near. And what John is saying, and so many times people have put dates on on Jesus' return. Jesus himself would not say when he was coming. One time he says, "Even my, I don't even know. My Father in heaven knows. People say, we got to know the date. Now, if you, if you think I'm going to give you a date in the end, I won't give you a date. I will just simply give you a truth that is so real in the Bible that Jesus is coming. And we are to be ready. He'll come in an hour when many people don't think he will come. He'll come in a moment. He'll come in a flash. He'll come... Like a thief, he'll come different ways. And there are different ways we'll look at those comings as we go further into this book. But I want to put up on the screen five basic views that people approach Revelation with. These are five views that many good and godly men and women have used in looking at the, at the book of Revelations. You, can, you might say, well, it's like a lens that they look at. But the, but the first is the preterist view. And, and these are simple descriptions of each view, but the, it simply describes the events of the current day. The preterist view says, okay, let's see what's happening in surprise. What's happening? It looks like we got the virus. It looks like the economies went down. They apply the events to the current day. Then there's the historist view. 
And the historic view is a sweeping panorama of church history. They look at what we read here, and they see this sweeping view of all the things that have happened from the beginning of the church till today, and they, we put this within Revelation in its context. Then we look at the poetic view. And the poetic view, and this is very true of Revelation, there are graphs that are written. It's full of pictures and symbols to encourage Christians that John was writing to in his day and even Christians today. And it is written, written with great poetry, just like the Psalms, just like other passages in Isaiah, other places of the Bible. There is a poetic view of Revelation that's magnificent. Then you have the futurist view. And we might say, a lot of us might say, this is really the place I camp the most. And that is the place, it's a reference to the end times. Now, John himself wrote this, that he was going to pass this on to communicate to the people things that would soon take place. It's going to happen. The futurist view is out there. These things will be fulfilled. And there's a last view. I don't call it last in one sense, but it's the biblicist view. The Biblist view doesn't deny other views to a certain extent, but the Biblist view will say, you take the word of God, you put things in context, you let the scripture speak to you, and as it does, it is alive and relevant in every age, every generation, every culture, every place. You see ahead into the future, you see today. And I think we'll see this very more clearly as we look at the letters to the churches of churches of Asia, the seven letters, we're going to see different ways this applies in the time and age in which we live. But it's really important we get this. You know, John says this, he does say at the end of that third verse, and I want to just linger there again just a moment. He says, the time is near. If there's ever a time the church should be alive and awake to return to Jesus, it's today. It is today. It is because we know it's there. Uh, if, if, you're if you're not married here and you're thinking about getting married, you may never get married. The Word of God teaches the time is near. But there's also another part of that that's important that we recognize, and that is our lives are frail. Every single day almost, it seems like I'm getting something from someone that an accident happened, uh, something happened. And I believe John was just simply saying too, take this in account because you live with a very mortal body. You don't know how long you're going to be here. You have no idea when God's gonna call you home. The time is very near. But there is probably a, the, one, the, one of the great references here is that reference that we're in the last of the last days. We're in the final time of the church age. We are in the time when the church should be living for Jesus, excited about the return of the Lord like never before. And maybe it's possible, and I give this to you, and I could be challenged here, but it seems like sometimes we just don't have that passion like the word of God teaches on the return of Christ. Just let the Holy Spirit, and maybe God is calling me back with you as I'm teaching this to say, bring, may that passion come back in your heart. May that fire burn on the ember, on the altar of an expectation of Jesus, and he's going to come. Because we've got a big mess in our world. And I'll never forget a trip I went to Israel and our Muslim guide, not the last trip before one time, and I just asked that guide, I said, sir, we got to know him pretty well. I says, what do you think the answer is for all this? 
What do you really think? And I'll never forget what he said. The only answer is return of the Lord. Yes, he sees it differently than me, but the only answer is the return of Jesus. We can't make this world right, but Jesus will. And we get to see that later in this book, that Jesus begins to just open this book in the most amazing ways, and we say things he begins to do in so many ways. As we look out over this book, I just want to shoot out over the top for a minute so we can get a picture of where we're going. We're we're going to go on a journey together. Like I said, I'll be there with you. I will guarantee you, God will take me through chastisement and trial by fire to deliver this message to you. It will come. I will guarantee you by the word of God. Messages that come from God do not get delivered without trial and adversity guaranteed. But one of the things we're going to see is we're going to see a blessed view of the church of Christ. We're going to see the churches that John writes to. We're going to see in these first several chapters this wonderful view of the churches of Christ. But then we're going to see something else. John, through this Holy Spirit, is going to challenge and bless the churches. He'll do both, but he's going to challenge them. He's going to put his finger on places the church has moved from God's will. And it may not feel good for a moment. It might be a place that I don't even want to go. And then what we're going to get is something that has no other equal in the entire Bible, and that is a great, powerful description of the Great Tribulation. It's, called, it's seven years of the worst of the worst this world will ever see, ever, and it's going to bring people to their faces, and people are going to come in, under judgment like never before, and for seven years, This world is going to shake and rock like it's never shaking because God is doing this to get men to repent. The amazing thing about the work of God this way is even in this book, we're going to see that there are those that say, I will not repent. Even in the middle of all the evidence in front of them, it says they will shake their fist at God. They will deny God. They'll say, no, I'm not going to go there. But we're still still going to go there together. And in the middle of that tribulation, we're going to see the unveiling of a series of judgments and seals and trumpets that will be poured out upon the world at that time. It's going to come in the most amazing ways. And there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be just decimation, plagues that will come. And as they come... It's, there is still that love, that heart of God that we must see through all of the rubble and all of the haze to recognize that Jesus is coming again. Because this is what it's about, that Jesus has the answers. And what God is going to do in the tribulation for those that are there at that time, and I, I personally am not one who leans that the church will be there, but I'm not here to argue about that. I believe the church will be caught out. But it, this book will be a textbook through which you can reference if you're left behind. If you haven't been teaching your children now then the word of God, when this time comes and this starts happening, you can get the Bible out. You can go to Revelation and say, here it is. Here's the next thing coming, and some things you almost nail down to the day. It's amazing how how clear the Word of God is. Then we're going to see something else in the middle of the tribulation. We're going to see the rise of false Christ and the Antichrist. Satan is going to be is going to become come on the scene. He's going to be the great dragon. He's going to be bound into a bottomless pit. He's going to be throwing down there. He's going to fall for one thousand years. 
And we're wrapping up the book as we come down there. It's a ways off. But then we have something else coming. And this is what's so cool about the end. I don't know how many of you do this here, but when I was a little guy, I liked to read a lot of books. But I always had this one problem. I liked to go to the last chapter and see how it ended. I just wanted to see how it ended. I wanted to see if the guy got married to that girl or if they won that battle. What is really cool, I'll tell you the ending, so you got it from the beginning. Because as we go through this book, you're gonna see it, and that is that Jesus wins in every way in the end. Every way. He triumphs. It's a shout of the Lord Jesus. I, he wins. He conquers through the church. He conquers through angels. He conquers everywhere. And when we can have that in our heart today, it, it's so amazing because when we start thinking about a living Christ and Jesus coming and Jesus winning, we've got a message for this world. We've got a living hope. We've got a place to go that no one else can go to. And we can just, just uh, be amazed at God and what he's doing. You know, my father loved biblical prophecy and I'm indebted to my dad um, in this way. He loved the study of Bible prophecy there was times I knew dad studied, the, studied Bible prophecy for 40 hours a week. He loved it. He couldn't get it out of his heart. My grandfathers on both sides were pastors. They loved it. You'll begin to see a deeper love here possibly as I take you through this as, than you may have recognized in previous teachings. But I remember one time dad just stopped and he'd been in Revelation for a while and he says, John, don't ever forget this about Revelation and I want us to get this as we go further. I wrote it down the best I can remember. I mean, he's still alive today. Revelation is not a book for believers to argue over, but rather a book for saints to rejoice in and sinners to be warned by. And if we can get that and hold on to that, that it's not, it's not an arguing point, but it's a place that we as saints can find tremendous consolation. But sometimes God, even in our, our little study, he might say, you gotta get the back of the book. You gotta see the end. I win. And this is what Jesus says, and it's gonna be amazing the way it's gonna be. He's gonna come again. He's gonna come. And in the last page of this book, the last chapter, the last verse, he ends with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And what he is saying is grace triumphs every time in every place in the most amazing ways. I have another verse for you as we think of the end here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29, verse to 31. Paul is writing here to really encourage people to live in such an abandonment that their hands were open. He's even himself saying, if God doesn't call you to be married, it's really an amazing place. Choose not to go there because the time is so short. This I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, notice what he's saying there. He's not saying don't have wives. He's saying live in such a way that something is so important that is the most important. And those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not make use of it, full use of it for the form of this world is passing away. 
In the first part of this, he says the time has been shortened. In the last part, he says it's passing away. And I think that's another thing John was referring to as he was writing here about the shortness of time. He's just saying it's coming really, really, really close to the end of the age. And with the end of the age so close, it is so important that the church is ready for the end of the age. Uh, Jesus even speaks about that time that if he would come and find us sleeping, find us not ready, what would it be like? And I have another picture that I'm indebted to one of my brother, brothers sending to you. Look at the sign. I think it's in Europe somewhere. Trust Jesus as much as people are trusting, trusting hand sanitizer. Trust Jesus. You know, this dear brother, you can see it right away. He loves the Lord. He's just saying, I'm going to share this on the street corner in the time when fear is rampant. People are running in fear all over. Trust Jesus. One of the things that I'm hearing, I haven't went looking for it, but they were telling me yesterday at the store the other day, as this dear sister or woman kept speaking to me, is all the empty shelves. I've noticed that online. Hand cleanser runs out. And you don't even know if you get it with the hand cleanser. You don't even know how long to wash your hands. But the beauty of the Lord and this brother's message, trusting Jesus is the best. Not equal, not close. Trusting Jesus is the best. We're going to find this as we look into this book. We're going to see it again and again. When the saints of God trust Jesus, he's there. We're going to see 144,000 that are, that are going to be martyred for their faith, who give their life for a testimony. It's a sign they did not believe before. They heard the gospel message. They didn't really believe. Now they believe. And now they're witnesses and they're alive for Christ. And they suffer for their faith. They give their life. They don't take what we're gonna see later is the mark of the beast. They, they don't love their life even unto death. But the important thing is that the passion that will take them to the place they will surrender their life for Jesus is the very same passion the Word of God speaks of throughout that should possess the child of God today. A passion that we will live for Christ, we'll give our life, we will surrender our all, and we will follow him. A very, a very common question that comes during a time like this and a study like this is are we ready? Are we ready? I remember when I was a little guy, one of the things, one of the things we used to play at home was that hide and seek game. Ready or not, here he comes. And we here they came. But here's a truth that is so true in the word of God that Jesus is coming again. But one of the great questions as we see a live Lord in his coming is a question, am I ready to meet Jesus face to face? Am I ready? Because today is a day to get ready to meet Jesus. Today we would find in the word of God, today is a day of salvation. They may find a vaccine that will overcome this. God allows men to go further than we ever thought, but they'll never find anything but the blood of Jesus to overcome the sin of mankind. 
There is no other cure. There is no other offering, no other sacrifice, but Jesus' blood. And I give this to you too, because somewhere in this room is someone who is not alive in the Lord Jesus, who is not born again. You won't make it through this time without the blood of Jesus. You will not make it. One thing is you will not go to be with Jesus. You will not be raptured, but you won't make it. Because what will come is the word of God says in the book of Luke, it's so powerful that it would even deceive the very elect. I remember telling my mom that one time, you know what, I'm gonna give my life, mom, someday. And I remember what mom said. She said, are you aware that he is so powerful that he will deceive the most very elect? No, you will only make it through Jesus. You can be translated. You can be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You can find that. But if you find yourself, and I think I'm speaking to someone here today that may be there. If you find yourself there, and you have resisted the Lord Jesus in your heart. You might have been a church member. You might have been born in a Christian family. But if you have resisted Jesus, if you have not surrendered at, at the altar of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you won't make it. You can't make it. He's too powerful. He's too deceptive. If you want to talk about peer pressure, it's a time where there'll be more peer pressure to do what everybody else is doing the world's ever known. The word of God says one place, all men will follow after the beast. They will run. Another place it says they will even come to the place they will desire to seek death and they will not even find it. But the word of God says you can't make it without Jesus. But here's the other side of that truth that is so important. With Jesus, you can do everything. With Jesus, you can do all things. With Jesus in your heart, you can stand up against every deceptive tactic of the enemy, against every maneuver he ever has, because you are a child of the king. You're a child of God, and God gives gives you that spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And if there's ever a day that the church needs to walk close to Jesus, it's today. We are in the last of the last days. Paul wrote to Timothy and called him perilous times. He also told him, Timothy, people will just walk away from God in the last days. We're seeing that in our era. But the beauty of the gospel is, through Jesus, you can make it. I can make it. Through Jesus, you can overcome through the very blood and the, and the work of Christ, and you can be with him forever. So I've got to give that invitation today. I get to give that invitation today again as we come to a time of communion in this sanctuary that the word of God really says that communion is for believers. You examine your heart to see if you're in the faith. If you're not in the faith, it's time to surrender your life to Jesus so that you can commune with him one more time in faith, allowing him to come to that place of saying, Lord, I am coming to the place of, of, of your sacrifice the very way I can make it no matter what comes. Even today, it's kind of interesting that we're here, right here at a time when we're here, right here as a nation too. I don't know what next week will be. Our leadership will get together, we'll pray, God, do you want the doors still open next week or do you want to just simply live stream? You tell us. But one thing we know, know for sure, when God is there, and he's guiding us, it's okay. Because 
Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But if you're not there yet this morning, today is that day to say, Lord, I want to surrender my life today. Then you can, you can even partake of communion. Really, you can, you, can, you can eat these, but there's no real power. There's no real touch of the heart if you're not a child of God. And I just want to encourage everyone here to think about this because one of the things that's been amazing about the church age is from the very beginning, when they would partake of emblems like this, symbols like this, they would get up from the table and they would walk outside and they would have no idea what was going to happen. Nothing. They'd hear of a brother going to prison, a sister losing her life, and they still partook of the emblems. In some ways, as we do, it's the same way. We say, Lord, we don't know. We, we really don't know. You've got this world in your hands. We don't know what America is going to look like in a month or two or a year. God does so. And by faith in him, we come here partaking of a symbol of his broken body, his shed blood, to show us life and to show us how he's alive yet today living in us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for uh, the amazing truths of your word that are so big. They just overflow. They, they're so abundant, you could never even pick them all up, Father. But I pray that you'll just give us wisdom as your children to pick up what you want us to pick up in this, in this book. Oh God, may it come into our hearts even today, the place you want us to receive your word, that your word can just flow in us and through us, and we can sense your very living presence today, Lord, even as we partake of the emblems that we have before us, and our hearts prepare for that time. Father God, we pray also that Someone or several, whatever you choose, oh, Father, could hear your voice today and get ready to meet you. Oh, I think, Lord, of your prophet Amos who said, prepare to meet your God. I pray that we can be those who are prepared to meet you. And yet, as we wait in this time, Lord, may we just see how, sense how alive you are, both in your word and in our hearts. And how true the truths of the gospel are that you're coming for your church, your bride, your purchased possessions. Oh Lord, what a day that's going to be when our Jesus will see. And he'll take us by the hand and he'll lead us to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.